Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 153 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. So today's guest read is a little different from the normal guests on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. Reed is not a bereaved parent, but he does something pretty amazing in the grief world that I just love. In fact, he was almost a little nervous about being on the Always Andy's Mom podcast because he felt like maybe he wouldn't quite fit in with what we do here. But I just love what he is doing. I do want to warn you that if you listen to the podcast normally when you're driving a car and you need to stay wide awake, this might not be a good episode to listen to because Reed's voice is incredibly soothing. I feel like he would be a great one to read bedtime stories to you to make you fall asleep. He just has an amazing soothing voice. And that's, in fact, what got him started in his current job that he's doing right now. Because Reed has a grief app. So you can find his app called Grief Refuge in the App Store or or on Google Play. Anyway, it's an amazing app. But on the app, he will daily do mini podcasts where he talks in his incredibly soothing voice to help bring a little bit of peace and comfort to grieving people. I just know that you're going to be so impressed with what he's done because I certainly am. And you'll look forward to getting the app and checking it out just as I have done so. So right now, I do want you to just sit back and enjoy listening to Reed talk about his personal grief journey and then the Grief Refuge app. Again, as a reminder, if you would like to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would be a fantastic guest on the podcast, please email me at marcy, M-A-R-C-Y, at andysmom.com. We are looking for guests for the fall and winter, so I would love to hear from you. And I just love to hear from bereaved parents in general and hear their stories. So again, feel free to email me. Thank you so much, Reed, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast and talk to us today. Well, thank you, Marcy, for having me on. I'm I'm really pleased to be here. Uh, Yeah, I'm excited to have you. So you reached out just a few weeks ago now with something exciting you're doing. But first of all, I just want to start out by having you talk to us a little bit about your personal grief story and what kind of led you to what you do today. Well, thanks for the space to be able to share that. My grief story involves two people. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) 
I mean, <laughs> I think of two specific people that got me on the path to doing what I do professionally. Two people in four types of relationships with these two people. Mm-hmm. The math is a little bit reverse logic, but <laughs> I had a relationship with my dad and it was my biological father and it was really hard. He was so emotionally distant. But then in 2006, he ended his life. He died by suicide. And then I definitely grieved the loss of him, but I also grieved the loss of the type of relationship that I always longed for. Right. He just wasn't really the type of person to even hug or whatever. He, and most of what he said verbally was very negative and very, um, just full of complaints about anything you can think of sports, politics, finances, anything. And then 10 years after my biological father died, my stepfather, Warren, who had a very close relationship with Warren um, was active in my life since I was a toddler. Mm -hmm. He died by cancer, cancer got the best of him. And then Um, It was interesting, Marcy, when he died, I definitely knew I was going to feel sad for quite a long time. But I also said to myself, since I had grieved the loss of my father, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be just fine. But I, to this day, I still don't know how to articulate it the best, but I just was blown away by how much loneliness hit me in my grief journey Mm -hmm. and just how surprising everything was in relationship to grieving Warren and really missing him. And so uh, these two losses, um, oh, also um, I'll say, because I mentioned earlier, the four relationships. So you had two with my biological father. When Warren died and I started grieving him, I realized I was going to grieve the loss of him and his presence. But I also recognized shortly after I was going to, grieve the loss of the type of relationship that I was, was always available to me Mm -hmm. as as stepfather, but that I never really fully accepted because in my younger days, I was trying to connect more with my dad. Yeah. So that was that type of relationship too. So yeah, things got a little complicated. Those are complicating factors for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Complicated is the key word. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There are a lot of things that can complicate grief, but I think when you don't have a good relationship like you did with your father, like you didn't have a good relationship with your father, that can really complicate things because as you said, you grieved that fact that you wanted that relationship, you know, and then of course, then that relationship you did really have, but maybe didn't think about the way you had it with that second grief loss too. So, wow. You're spot on, Marcy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly the way it was. And, you know, it's interesting. I actually, years ago, I got a master's degree in psychology and Mm -hmm. I guess I used it, but not directly. I didn't necessarily become a counselor or psychologist. And what was interesting was after about 10 years of working in technology uh, and then couple of years after Warren's death, I just started really feeling like it was an intuition. Was it a calling? I don't even know what to name it these days, but just really started feeling something like a desire inside of me 
grow to be more available to help people heal. Mm -hmm. And so I looked for some specific training and grief support because I I didn't want to like go get a license as a counselor. Yeah. Uh, For my own philosophical reasons, I don't think that grief should always be a mental health thing. Yeah. You know, someone who's grieving, if they're going to seek support, it doesn't have to be mental health professionally. So I found a program that offers a certification and I went through this training and learned a lot more of developed skills and knowledge of how to provide grief support. And I had thought to myself, I'm going to facilitate retreats. Uh-huh. Part of healing and grief for me has been very valued being in nature. And and then the pandemic came and I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to. That's not, okay, I'm not going to do that. And I was kind of like, well, what should I do? I have been wanting to do that too, you know? The, I wanted to expand <laughs> in the podcast. Like, I want to do retreats. And my friend Stephanie and I were like, this is our dream. We're going to do retreats. And then the pandemic had like, yeah, okay, we're not doing retreats. We're just, I'm just <laughs> doing the kind of the same thing I've been doing. But maybe someday, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, definitely someday. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that retreats can be very empowering. I think that people are longing for connection. They're they're longing for all the comfort to be able to understand that they're not as alone as what they may feel. Mm-hmm. And so being around other people who can share stories and can also listen with compassion and empathy, uh, that can be very supportive in someone's grief journey. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a similar experience. Okay, retreats aren't going to happen. And just looking back at, you know, a lot of my professional skills, I was like, oh, what I can do is this. And it led to uh, taking advantage of technology and making something that would really help ease loneliness for people who are grieving. Yeah, it's just awesome. So, yes, talk about how it started and what, what you offer. You know, it started with me giving a presentation at one of my trainings. Mm-hmm. I talked about guilt and grief were, yeah. you know, put together like an assignment and provided like a lecture on it. And then afterwards, I got approached by three different people in this training, didn't know them before. And they said, hey, I got to tell you something. You have a really soothing voice. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh, thanks. And then they were like, you know, you should be on the call map. And I was like, I should. And they're like, yeah, wouldn't that be neat to like do some grief meditations for Calm? Calm is a meditation oh, app. Oh, yeah. Okay, Calm. I thought you said call and then now Calm app. Yes, I've definitely heard of that. I have that on my phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. Millions of people have the Call app on their phone. And so I followed up. I just said, you know, I would, I would love to use my voice to be able to help soothe people that are grieving. Like what a gift Mm -hmm. for me and what a source of comfort for others. And I reached out to Calm and actually had some communication with some of the people who are decision makers there, but it didn't really lead to anywhere. And then I was on a hike with my wife and my wife's best friend, who's a very successful life coach. And of course she extended the invitation to do something better. And I was like, I'm not going (laughs) to, I'm not going to make an app that has, you know, that much more subscribers than calm. That's crazy. And she's like, I'm not talking about that. 
I'm just talking about maybe making your own app that could help be a source of comfort for the people that you want to help. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, more technology. <laughs> <laughs> just what you were thinking you were getting away from. Yeah, exactly. I looked into it and I was like, oh, well, there's definitely a need here. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I found out from like a group of people that are consider themselves grieving persons who did some market research and found out what features would be the most helpful to them. Yeah. And they wanted to hear something each day. We call it a grief refuge, daily refuge, stop for the day. Said, okay, let's make these. Um, they're kind of like mini podcasts that are published every day. And then there's also other features that allow people to um, journal. I mean, there's so many things that people can do. They can utilize the Grief Refuge app to really be kind of a hub and a source of comfort when no one else is available. Because I've heard from a lot of people that when they're grieving, it's almost like the network shrinks. Yes. They look at their social life and they say, oh, okay, maybe about a third of these people will really show up and they'll hold space for me because right now my needs need to be met. I, I need to mourn and I need to express and I need to do it where I'm not going to be judged. And then a third of the people kind of just stay as they are. Like maybe we'll go grab some lunch or whatever and we can, you know, we can talk, but can't really go there Yeah. about the grief experience. And then another third of the people may just kind of like fall off yeah. and the relationship or never hear from them again. And now we have a lot of secondary losses. And so that, and then logistically, like, you know, some people who are grieving are like up at 2am and you know, the rest of the world isn't. And so maybe they could open up the app and listen to something to help provide some comfort to them. That's kind of like the nuts and bolts of grief refuge. Mm-hmm. I'm just grateful that it's all in English. So um, I apologize to the people whose primary languages are not English, but to all the people who use it, they just appreciate the convenience of it and they appreciate the ability to feel soothed. Mm -hmm. I think that's really the essence of what the app does. Well, certainly I've spoken to lots of people now and I think there is great utility like we talked earlier into having retreats and having support groups and things like that. But a lot of times people aren't ready for that. Like that's a really big step. I remember the first support group that I went to and it was it felt like torture walking through the door. It just was scary to me. And so that's what certainly the podcast can do in that you can just open it up. It's private. You're not putting yourself really out there. And I think this app does that in an even better way because you can have a little bit every single day. I mean, I don't do this every single day. It's once a week, you know. So to have little bits of comfort, somebody there without having you to make that jump is, I think, big. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point, Marcy. Timing is different for everyone. Everyone's going to have a unique experience. And one thing that stands out is as far as remembering many conversations I've had with people that are using the app who communicate, you know, how it's working for them. You know, they do share a bit of their narrative and they state things like, well, you know, it's been six months 
and I just still feel as mm-hmm. crappy as ever. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I'm noticing my friends are, you know, basically starting to tell me to move on. Yeah. And, and I don't want to. Yeah. And so when you feel that societal pressure, that makes it really hard to fit in, in the world. And that causes a lot of pain and a lot of hurt when you're already stacked up, you know, if you're feeling as much grief to your loss. So you bring up an excellent point. Well, and it's not helpful. I talked about with the, this with a guest last week who was a, is a psychologist about how this new now having a diagnosis of prolonged grief disorder and really having it be kind of out there that like if you're not over it and pretty much back to normal by a year, there's something wrong with you. You've got a disease that needs to be treated by a mental health professional and you know, a lot of times you get, you hit that year point and that's when you can finally start grieving because there have been so, a lot of things can kind of hold you up and get you stuck. And so it's really sad, I think, to have people feel like they've got some sort of time that they need to do all of this work in, you know? Yeah. It, in my opinion, I think it just adds up to feel like more pressure. Mm-hmm. Or pressure to heal, but how do you force healing? You can't, you know. Yeah, and then it also uh, further stigmatizes the experience, where I just feel like we need more and more activities, more and more information, education. I'm not quite sure what to call it, but we just need more stuff to help us understand that grief is that much more natural. Well, and I love what you said too about how you were thinking about what you can do, but it didn't have to be in that mental health world. Right. Right? Yeah. I love that. So tell tell us a little bit about that kind of course that you did and the people that do that, you know, that maybe did that with you and what their backgrounds are. Sure. It, I couldn't be more thankful to Dr. Ellen Wolfelt in the Center for Loss and Life Transition. It's a company, I guess, more than anything out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Wolfelt traditionally is a trained psychologist. He came up with a model called companioning. His kind of fundamental core essence of the whole philosophy is that grief is natural. It doesn't need to be treated. It doesn't need to be cured. Grief is something that we need to nurture and share in more of like a, a social experience to help us mourn, yeah. to help us feel, to help us feel validated in our loss and to help us reintegrate the loss into our lives as time goes on. Oh, I love how you just said that about it being a time to nurture and share. That is not, those are not words that are used with grief like at all. I mean, those are beautiful. And it's beautiful think, to think of it in that way, instead of a, this is something we need to get through or get over or get done with, you know, you just want to get it out of the way and through it all. That's a much more beautiful way to think of it. Another belief of the philosophy is that grief never goes away. Mm-hmm. And some people really challenge that for many different reasons. But I want to say a little bit more to grief never going away is that 
at the time of our conversation being recorded, it, it's 16 and a half years since biological father died. Mm-hmm. Do I feel the same way that I did three months after he died? No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Grief will change, but but there are times such as Father's Days. Some Father's Days, I'll think of my dad, remember him, and I'll feel, for lack of a better word, content. Yeah. But then some Father's Days, actually this year, 2022, I was like, man, this sucks. Like, I just felt crummy. And I just kind of like welled up with tears, you know, and just kind of sat there and stared out my window and felt kind of depressed for a good half the day. And I just knew that that was grief. That was like me processing grief 16 and a half years later. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's where I was heading was like, grief may never go away. It may change the intensity, the way it comes as far as thoughts, the way it comes as feelings. But to be able to understand exactly what you said, that that is okay. That's part of being human. Mm-hmm. That's, I feel like if anything, like that's what I walked away from for my training because I also communicate with a lot of grievers because I have a, like a small companion in practice and uh, I'm definitely communicating with a lot of people they, they say that they just can't really go anywhere where they can be their authentic selves. Yes. Uh, you know, there, there's groups like, and, and specifically, a lot of them have said, like, when working with a counselor, and, and I don't want to discredit counselors, because I think counselors are amazing. In fact, after my stepfather died, I worked with a counselor mm-hmm. uh, for quite a while, and my counselor really helped me. But there are many counselors who just, you know, they, they look at a grief experience and say, okay, you know, there is some kind of resolution. There's something, you know, some goal to achieve. And that really isn't the case yeah. with grief. Yeah. I think grief is a constant experience of like needing to feel validated, needing to feel seen, needing to feel heard, and needing to feel understood. Well, and a lot of counselors just don't have much experience with grief at all. I don't think they got a lot in their training. They don't really know what they're doing. I mean, a lot. (laughs) I always feel like different counselors have different things that they're good at, right? That's usually one of the things I ask a counselor when I meet them. I do pediatrics, and so I meet people professionally, too. But when I'm going to send someone as a referral... We oftentimes ask, so what do you feel like you're good at? You know, are you good at taking care of anxious, depressed teenagers? Are you good at, you know, treating people with more complex bipolar disorder or, you know, it, there are so many things. It's such a huge, huge practice. You can't be good at everything. And I think a lot of people are not good at grief because they just don't quite understand it or they feel uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a really important question. What do you feel like you're good at? I actually wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's important. It could be applied to grief, you know? Yeah, right, right. Can even be applied you know, to that. What do you feel like in your grief? you know, helps the most or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You really got me thinking. (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. 
Yeah, I have spoken with different people. And that's why my grief counselor that I have personally almost exclusively does grief. And I think that's just nice when you have someone that does that well. I know, again, that the woman that I spoke to last week said that when she lost her son, she started seeing a counselor. And the counselor clearly had young children of her own and felt really uncomfortable with the idea of having a child die and basically didn't really want to talk to her about it and kept wanting to have there be other issues like with her dad or with someone else. Like wanted there to be other things to talk about other than the thing that was really bothering her, her, which was that her baby had died of SIDS and she needed to talk about that loss and really just talk about that loss. And the counselor really couldn't do it. So it's, you know, you just can't do everything and be good at everything, and that's okay. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. That could be very damaging. Oh, yeah, and she she's a counselor now. She end, It ended up causing her to go to school to do it herself, and this is now over 30 years ago. I think she said 35 years ago. So we're at a much different time now, I feel like. You, you know, I think even 10 years ago, people didn't talk about grief as much as they do now, let alone 35 years ago. That was a totally different time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my hope is in the future, it'll be even different where it will feel that much more natural. Mm-hmm. Not superficial. There'll still be depth to it, but it'll just be feel more invited and more natural to, to openly share. So why don't you give a few more details about your app and kind of what people would expect, you know, if they were to, because you you can get the app initially for free, right? Mm -hmm. And then then go on to what, what could come after that, like additional things to do. Yeah. So with the app, it is a free download from the iPhone's app store or Google's Google Play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are five features that on the app that are free and they'll always be free. And those in, that includes journaling, like I mentioned before, but also there are, there's a feature called intentions and some people just like kind of hit a wall and they just kind of feel like perhaps they need a little bit of guidance mm-hmm. and that's where intentions come in. And there's specifically the content is created towards specific emotions, like forgiveness and, you know, easing loneliness and, you know, some guidance for reaching out. And But the content that is updated daily, there's two features that we would ask for a subscription uh, from the user if they wanted something new to listen to every day. Mm-hmm. Um, these are like kind of reflective, I call them mini podcasts, you know, they're just maybe three to five minutes each day. And it's really something to listen to and reflect on for what to expect in the grief journey mm-hmm. and also what to feel validated for having already experienced. And then there's another feature called my grief journey itself. And that's actually like almost like a, an assessment questionnaire that a, a user of the app could fill out on a daily basis. And it, it does provide a numeric score okay. and what this helps them, it helps them quantify like a little bit about tracking their grief progress or process. Mm -hmm. And so people who do use it, they say to me like, oh, it really helps me understand like, even though three months have passed, I may feel like I'm not making progress. I can kind of look at 
what I've done and what I've filled out and say, okay, I actually recognize I have made some yeah. progress. So two of the features require a, a monthly or you can do a monthly subscription or a quarterly subscription. We allow everybody, if they want to explore the subscription, to um, try it for seven days for free mm -hmm. to see if you know it resonates with them. I know that technology for grief isn't for everyone, so I don't want to you know, I don't, I don't want to put anybody in an uncomfortable situation where they feel like they have to pay for something uh, right away in order to try it. Mm -hmm. So seven day free trial. And then we try to just make the experience, the grief experience a little bit more peaceful for the user yeah. with uh, the soothing messages. And then also I think I'm, I'm actually thinking I'm going to start adding a feature for some grief related meditations. Mm-hmm something more to focus on and to even use visualizations just to help engage in some of the healing process itself. You do have a soothing voice. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, it's, it's funny as when I mentioned that that presentation, I got the great feedback from my classmates, but Dr. Wolfelt <laughs> warned me. He said, Hey, be, be a little bit careful of your hypnotic voice. You don't want to put people to sleep. <laughs> So he's like, you know, at first try to forcefully, you know, change, you know, change the volume, change the tone and things like that. And I was like, I was like, ah, oh, I, I still want to be me, you know? And, but yes, um, I do narrate the content that is created so that this on the app, it's, it's a lot of audio content and it's a lot of what people can listen to. And uh, if if you use the app, you'll hear my voice a lot. Yeah. And some people find that very comforting. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It reminds me of, uh, so in pediatrics, you know, I see lots of little babies and they come in and it's usually around the two week checkup. It seems like the, the moms and dads would come in and I would say, how are things going? And then they might say something and say, no, how are you doing? And, and I would just say it and I'm like, how are you doing? And they all cry. Like everybody would cry because I, I guess I had such a way of saying it that was like, like, I really want to know. And I re it was just a, let them just have some release because they're all these new parents are stressed out and they're not sleeping and the baby's crying and it's very stressful. And so then you had someone that said it in a way that was, kind of a comforting kind of no but how are you really doing and then it would the tears would always come so i th i think i have a tendency to do that with people i think that's beautiful marcy i i just i mean i can so see so many you know parents where their lives have just completely changed and yeah you know you providing that you know holding that space for them and really I'm sure you're probably giving them great eye contact and, you know, they look at you and they realize like, oh my gosh, this is where like, I can be my authentic self for a second. Yeah. I want to go back to that point a little bit too, about being your authentic self, because I have talked about that a lot as well and how that's so, so difficult when you're grieving because I, it just, you just always have this in your head, like, if I act sad, then they're going to judge me like, oh, she's not doing well and have all this, like you shouldn't be acting that way. Yet, 
if I act too happy, then they'll think, wow, did she really not even love her son? Or how is she over it already? Or, oh, I guess I don't have to worry about her anymore. I guess she's totally fine. So there's so much in your head about about not not like it's it's in it's what you do to yourself in some ways like I'm not letting myself be authentic because I'm thinking so much about how I'm going to appear to other people yes exactly yeah personification is just critical it's so much of like what happens in day-to-day lives you know if you think about an average day you know, keep it professional with your work colleagues. Mm -hmm. I I know the the boundaries are a little bit looser these days, but we've been taught that in our culture. And then in our culture, like, you know, the niceties, there's norms, you know, the kind of no matter where you go, grocery store, does everybody, you know, um, live up to them? No, not everybody. But there's, there's like, who teaches it? I don't know, but there, there's almost like this way that we're supposed to be mm-hmm. um, when in the presence of others. And so when, you know, felt to the depths of grief, like that, you just, you know, it's hard. It's so hard because it'll going around and, you know, having the personas and seeing other people, you know, act as if like everything's grand and everything's great, you know, that's going to really, that's going to really feed the feeling of feeling that much more lonely and that much more isolated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why support groups are so helpful. Right. Because you don't feel so alone. But I do like the way you are trying to use technology in a positive way in that too, because so much of social media is not that way, right? So much is, is just showing all the happy moments and it's not real life. Like what you see, it's not real. It's not real life. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a story. Yeah. It's a story. Oh, and it's the story that you know people want want to show others, not necessarily what's actually going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. Right, and you know, here's a little psychological twist on, on on the point. By trying to show others, they may start to make themselves believe that it is it is their real life, and then when they recognize that it's not, they feel even that much worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are some kind of tidbits that you do on your, on your mini podcast, you say? Can you, can you give us an example of something you might have done, say, recently? The one that went out today was actually kind of a depressing one. And I don't mean that judgmentally. It just talked about how some people experience flashbacks. And oftentimes in our culture, flashbacks are really associated with veterans, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. But the mini podcast, the thought for the day about it was to express that anybody who's grieving could experience a quote unquote flashback. Flashbacks often are related to trauma and many people in grief are traumatized. So, you know, it's kind of a, a reflection, as I said earlier, about the experience of like, hey, helping anyone who's listening understand that if they have memories that sometimes haunt them about their loved one 
or something that feels traumatic, it was really focused on normalizing that experience for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that just with me personally, so I, I have a friend whose son died and it, he was killed by a drunk driver and that court sentencing was yesterday. And this was a friend of mine who had been to court sentencing when my, you know, when we had our case. And so I felt very strongly that I wanted to go be there for them and for that family. And I did go. But you talking about flashbacks, I mean, I was, I was in many ways terrible. I, I look up to the front and there's our victim's advocate is, is my friend's victim advocate for the day. I look in the front of the courtroom and like, everything looks the same and I see the bench and I see all of it right it just I mean talk about flashbacks I was sort of expecting it but it was really profound and brought me right there I mean I felt like I was in some ways not at this trial I was at the one that took place or not trial but sentencing but the one that took place three years ago so it brings those things right back. And sometimes you need to do them anyway. I mean, my husband did not think it was a good idea <laughs> for me to go. He, he said, I can't believe you went. I couldn't have gone. He, he didn't go, obviously. But yet it's something I felt like I had to do. So sometimes you have to do things even when you know it's going to cause pain. Marcy, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you trusted that. I, you know, I think through convenience of technology, Yes, but uh, I, I wish I could do more yeah. to be able to help people understand that, hey, this is going to hurt, but it might be something that you just may need to experience. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let me companion you through it. Let me be along your side. I won't feel it the way you feel it, but I'll be focused on you and I'll be kind of like your sidekick in this. Um, I'll be there to say something. I'll be there to hold your hand. If you want your hand held, um, I'll just companion you through this process. And it's funny that you use those words because I, I walked into that courtroom. I waited. I mean, there were, there were quite a few people in there ahead of me because I, I was not wanting to walk in until kind of towards the right before it was going to happen. I walk in, I get a seat. I'm sitting by people I don't know. I turn around and in the row behind me, I saw someone I knew. And I don't know her that well. I mean, we know each other. Our kids were the same age and things like that. But I thought I need to sit next to someone that I know for this. And she, of course, had known what I had gone through. And so I said, can I sit back beside you? And she, of course, said yes. And and I just leaned over and I said, I just am going to need to hold your hand. And again, we're not good friends. I mean, we talk maybe yearly, if that. But I needed someone that I knew was a caring person to hold my hand in that moment. And it doesn't need to be like a close friend. So I, I love the, that analogy that you're using because you can be the person to hold their hand. Yes, and many people, similar to what we were talking about earlier, many people may feel that they need, metaphorically, they, they may feel that their hand needs to be held, but they may feel not 
almost like they may believe that it's not okay to ask yeah. for that type of help. And, and that's where I saw how the technology could provide the help for someone. Well, and not thinking back just to this case yesterday, I had thought, I need somebody to be there with me. I need somebody to be there with me. But I didn't want to make it about me, right? So I didn't know who to reach out to. And that's your point earlier. Like your circle gets much smaller. And I don't have as many people that I feel like I can call up the phone and say, hey, can you, will you come to this sentencing with me? And you don't even really probably know this person, but I just needed someone to be there with me. And so I just kind of just prayed, honestly, that there would be someone that could do that for me that would just show up. And that is exactly what happened. So I feel very fortunate that that, that happened because I didn't want to make it about me. And I didn't, I felt uncomfortable asking for help. And goodness, I'm one that tells people to ask for help all the time, right? I mean, that's what I do on the podcast is telling people to get help and trying to offer help. And yet still asking for help is not easy. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, there's times where I catch myself where I'm like, my I cherish my relationship with my wife. And, you know, I'll, I'll be in an experience. Uh, perhaps we have some kind of minor conflict. And I later think to myself, you know, I think a lot of this was sourced from me who didn't know how to ask mm-hmm. for help in a certain moment. You know, I I do process a lot of grief, a lot of other people's grief as well as my own. Right. And so sometimes, like, I need a break. I, I know that I carry some of that grief into my personal life. And I yeah. have sometimes have challenges asking for what I need or asking what for could feel helpful or comforting to myself because I've created this perception, self-perception that like, you know, I'm the one who shows up for others. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I would argue, uh, you know, my wife's not going to be happy with me saying this, but just to be honest, I would argue that could, because she's a psychologist, she does a little bit of that herself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I think we do. I think it's natural to do that and to feel like you know, I've gotten to that point where I'm, I'm a caregiver. I give care to other people, but sometimes it's still hard for me to ask for it from others. And there are only a few people that I feel comfortable doing that with. But I am glad that I have grown enough for yesterday to ask this, you know, acquaintance really to hold my hand. And she held my hand the whole time. And when things got a little bit, you know, bad and certain when they were recounting certain things that were bringing me back too many memories you know I started to cry and she was okay with that so it's just important to be able to be okay asking for someone for help and not feel like it has to be just you know one or two people that you can ask yeah Mm -hmm. and I uh, just want to reflect on what sounds to me like a very powerful hearing healing experience for you at this event. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it brought back a lot, which was not good, but in other ways, I think it was very good. And I would have regretted not going. I mean, that, that was another thing to do. And I was even talking to her during that. I was recounting that in the criminal case, I was there. We, we had a civil case too, that I just didn't feel as, kind of passionate about because I just didn't but I didn't go to the final 
whatever court thing that we had. I didn't go because I had told my husband I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I regret it. Today I regret it that I didn't go and I felt like it could have been a chance to get a little bit more closure on certain painful experiences. Not closure on my grief, obviously, but closure on some of those loose ends to be able to do that. And sometimes, you know, things are good for somebody and bad for somebody else too, right? I was talking on the podcast not too long ago about how my therapist says all the mom always wants to know like exactly what happened when their child dies. They want to know the kind of the reasons behind it. And yet I had somebody I emailed the other day and she said, I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't, I, it was too painful to even put myself in that circumstance. And I thought, yeah, it's totally true. I mean, different people have different things that they need. And so I needed, I felt like I needed to know, which I never really got the answers, which was frustrating to me, but other people are going to not want that at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about empowerment with your choices. Mm-hmm, right. I'm an advocate, an advocate for that. I, I think I couldn't agree with you, you know, like what, you know, what may feel right for you may not feel right for someone else. And so it, it's really about like understanding, you know, and trusting like what your own needs are and feeling empowered in doing that, not feeling pressured by someone else mm-hmm. because many people are quick to judge or many people are quick to express their opinion. And it couldn't be night, it could be night and day different from, you know, what feels true for you or what feels authentic. And so I, I'm really hoping my selfish agenda for the app is that the app will help people feel more empowered yes. in the choices they make throughout their grief journey. Yeah. When you were talking earlier about guilt about how you gave that talk on guilt. And I have spoken to Gwen about this, someone who'd said that they feel that all people, grieving people end up feeling guilt because if you didn't feel guilt, you would feel powerless. And it's mm. easier to feel guilty that like, I should have done this differently. I should have done that differently. And then maybe there wouldn't have been this outcome. But because the, the alternative is I was completely powerless in this situation. There was absolutely nothing I could have done. That is a feeling we like to avoid, <laughs> is that feeling powerless. So for you to have a goal of trying to empower people to get that back to, you know, that powerless feeling that goes along with guilt. Ooh, I love that. I love that. It's a great goal. Yeah. Thanks. And that's a really that's a really profound thing um, in regards to the uh, association of guilt and powerlessness. I had never thought of it that way before. So thank you. That's like a great piece of wisdom you just shared. (laughs) Oh, I know. I love that. It's one that always comes back to me because I feel like it's so, so true. And so if you can try to give people a little bit of power uh, to combat, combat that feeling, that is going to offer them so much in the future. I so appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing with us. And I just know you're going to help so many people with this app. How long has it been out now? I forgot to ask you that. The app uh, became available in the app stores in May of 2021. Okay. And so it's at the time of our recording, it's been a year and a couple months. And pleased to say it's definitely getting used by a lot of people and 
to my surprise, in much more countries than I would have ever anticipated. It just blows me away when you think about technology and just how how easily accessible it is. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Start to hear from people in, I don't know, like Southeast Asia. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I know. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. I, I love that when I hear from people all over the world. It's it's pretty exciting. So I'm yeah. glad that it's doing so well. And I um, certainly wish you the best for the future because I think it's just such a great service. Oh, I appreciate that, Marcy. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah. This has been a very meaningful conversation. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, good. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.